I am literally crying thinking about like a scene at the end. Like I don't know if you've looked at my comments yeah. uh, yet, but um, just like fuck. <laughs> yep. So. Uh huh. Mm. Let's yeah. Let's continue, shall we? Let's. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Cassie, like everybody leaves, and she's just alone in the barn. And she's like, well, I guess I'll do chores. Uh, and so she takes one of, uh, their horses and rides out, like, all the way across the pasture where there's, like, this bathtub that, uh, they use as a trough for the horses for water. Um, because she's been meaning to clean it. She gets there and she finds that it's already been cleaned, uh, by Axe, actually. Um, and. Actually. <sighs> Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Richard is rubbing off on you. He's going to be so pleased with himself. <laughs> yes, in about two years when he actually listens to this podcast. <laughs> when Dumb Kids is over and he's allowed to know about animorphs. Yep. <laughs> Hello, future Richard. <laughs> um, but yeah, Axe uh, saw that the trough needed to be cleaned and did that. Um, and, and it gives me feelings. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you wanna? Did you wanna comment on that? Yeah, I just uh, like. Uh, so, my whole situation is, like, I'm just bad at, like, 90% of household chores. Mm -hmm. Like, they're, uh, like, mostly I just don't like them, but also more recently, like, doing most of them is physically painful for me. Mm. And so, just, like, the thought that Axe was just, like, uh, this needs to be cleaned, like, maybe he also uses it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just like, this was not in this state when I got here, so probably it should be cleaned. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, he just did that without being asked. And it's just like, mm, emotions. I, I also like the thought that he kept himself away from that group meeting. Mm -hmm. but he knows something is wrong with Cassie, even if he can't really understand why. Mm -hmm. But he knows the animals are important to her. So he's going to do that. Yeah. Because oh God, I didn't even think of that. Because he can't, <laughs> he doesn't know how to help her otherwise, but he knows what she cares about. Mm -hmm. So he can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm just remembering that fucking Axe has had dinner with her parents. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I feel and like that's... he really, yeah, he cares about her. And he probably yeah. knows about that farm. She's the closest to him, aside from Tobias, like, physically at all times. Mm -hmm. Like, for all we were talking about the distance between them, I think he clearly likes her, even if mm -hmm. he's a little bit schoolboy jealous that she's better at morphing than him. <laughs> Which is cute as fuck, really, because he's just like, God damn it, I'm so <sighs> I'm <like laughs> alien. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, she has a moment when she where she thinks about like, oh fuck, I can't morph anymore. Um, and you know, she she didn't even think about that that was something that she was giving up as part of giving up the animorphs. Um. And like, she, she muses, like, of course, Jake's right. You know, I just, it's one of those things where it's like, of course, it makes sense that this would be taken away from me, but I still didn't expect it. And therefore it hurts. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. um, and she tries to be nonchalant about it to no one. Um, but, uh, about this one thing she's able to still have emotions, you know? Um, about this one thing, she cares. Life just seemed so cramped and small without being able to morph ever again. Um, which really speaks to how 
uh, kind of expanded their universe has become. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just having to go back to... It reminds me, you know, of uh, as much as I dislike the series, um, of the children returning from Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that sense of like, oh, I lived this full life and know about all of these things. And mm-hmm. now I have to pretend to be a child again. I have yeah. a, another point of comparison if you want to be made sad. Uh huh. Uh, or Donna having her yeah. memories taken away and going back oh. to the life she had before. Yeah. It- to be fair, she doesn't know what she's given up. No, but also she has less choice in the matter. Yeah. It's also just, but that notion of what you have yeah. versus the, the impact it has, even though she doesn't know mm-hmm. the impact it has on her. Yeah. Losing yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her fear of it before the doctor ri- wipes her memories yeah. is. Yeah. Palpable. Donna and I would have better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she really did. The, anyway. Back to the Narnia kids. Uh, when you talk about them coming back and the impact, like, I was just thinking of that one Susan story. You know, mm-hmm. the one about the lipstick and the stocking? Thing? Yeah, the Neil Gaiman one. Yeah. He wrote that? Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. That's why it gets oh. so fucky at the end. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it. Like I, I, I mostly just remember her just being pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this adult level of pissed. Like uh, I, yeah. I I got left out because I, I wanna grow up. Yeah, mm. and it's like she gets interviewed by a grad student and that and Yeah, the problem with Susan. Yes. Mm. But yes, it's a Neil Gaiman short story and it gets fucky at the end. Or in the middle. <laughs> it's good, but it's not everyone's cup of tea. Fair. So, but anyway. Uh, so as Cassie is thinking about all of this, uh, the horse that she rode out here is kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, and this immediately puts her on edge because usually if, well, I say that horses are notoriously flighty creatures um but usually if a horse is is behaving in this manner uh as if it suddenly smells something dangerous uh it's a bad thing um and especially she is concerned when the wind changes to not be blowing in from the forest anymore and the mare calms down uh which is you know indicative of something being in the woods um and then she sees a young girl with red hair being chased by a black bear. Um, and the girl can't really get away from the bear. Um, she tries to climb a tree, but that's not going to help because it's a black bear and black bears can climb trees. Um, so Cassie, uh, mounts up and goes galloping off to save this girl. Uh, manages to grab the girl from the tree branch that she's sitting on or about to fall off of. Um, and so catches her, gets her onto the horse with her. Um, the horse is just panic running, which is a problem because they end up, uh, galloping towards the river that is in the forest. And, yeah, and Cassie can't grab the reins to control yeah. the horse because she has the girl in her lap. Yeah. As much Mm -hmm. as anything. Uh, and, uh, then she gets hit by a low branch out of the saddle. Um, and she and the girl both fall into the river, um, which has, which is white water, um, swollen by recent rains. Uh, so basically rapids. Um, what follows is a lot of panic as uh, she is basically pulled under, uh, in this river. Um, the water is extremely cold. She's freezing. She keeps hitting rocks. Um, 
and falls over a waterfall um, and just can't really keep her head above water. Um, Ends up breathing some water in. Yeah. Uh, It's a bad time, but she gets pulled out of the water mm -hmm. uh, at the last moment where she feels like she can't do it, do anything else. It's too late. She tries to get to the surface, but thankfully gets pulled out. Um, but is breathing. She's in pain, but she's alive. Hey, look at that. She's <laughs> feeling something. Probably not what she would have opted to feel, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the girl is next to her. Uh, yeah. Bright green eyes, jeans, t-shirt, shivering. And they're just like, yeah, you saved my life. And Cassie's like, you saved my life. And the girl's like, you saved mine. That bear could have killed me. So now or even, I don't owe you anything and you don't owe me. It was a strange thing to say, too mature. I don't know, too old to be coming from someone so young. I sat up, fighting, to f- urge the cry- fighting the urge to cry from the pins and needles feeling. Uh, they introduced themselves and this is how you know the book was written in the 90s because this girl's name is Karen and that just won't happen anymore. <laughs> and rightly so. Um... But they quickly come to the conclusion that they are lost because Karen was knocked out too, but she says she was knocked out too. She woke up a little sooner, was able to grab on um, a floating piece of debris. But uh, they're far enough out that it's all like pine trees, no obvious trails, no trash, other signs of humans. Um, she, Cassie knows enough about the area to get a vague idea, but it doesn't pinpoint where they are. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know what direction to go. Um, and she admits to uh, Karen that she doesn't, she's not exactly an expert. Um, it's just like, I don't know this, but, but have you ever read Hatchet by Gary Paulson? Just like, no, I did. I wish I just paid more attention. Uh, plus, we don't have a hatchet. Um, but Karen's ankle is hurt when Cassie says, like, we're going to have to walk. Um, yeah. Karen and- broke her ankle. Yeah, in the, the rest, mm, or I'd say sprained. Given that she's able to move on it, it just mm. sucks. Mm. Um, either way, and then uh, things start to click because yep. Cassie's like, "Hey, Karen, what were you doing in the woods?" And she doesn't answer. And Cassie starts to feel cold in a way that has nothing to do with the dumping in dunking into freezing cold water. And puts it together the other night. Somebody was behind the barn looking at me. And she's just like, why are you, why were you following me? Why were you spying on me? And Karen's like, you interest me. Cassie tries to play it off. No, there's nothing interesting. Just like, sure there is. See, if I'm right about you, then you can fly away from this place anytime you want. If I'm right about you, you can also, let's just say, make a few changes and kill me. I forced an awful fake laugh. What on earth are you talking about? Oh, nothing on earth, Karen said. At least that's what everyone believes. Humans can't morph. Only Andalites can morph. Only an Andalite could become a wolf and rip the throat from my brother's host body and leave him dying. And here we have the conflict. Uh-huh. Mm. And she's like, uh, just like, well, I guess Marco would have been cooler. Maybe Rachel would have just attacked. But I'm not Marco or Rachel. And this is where, bless Cassie, has to lie. Mm -hmm. And to her credit, she does a real good job. Yeah. What she doesn't have in just ability to play it off smooth, uh, she has in just tenacity to sticking to it. Yeah. Um, And she she sticks to her guns with this lie uh, enough to make Karen doubt. Um. Which is important, uh, for reasons we'll find out. Um, and, uh, Cassie has a, they have a conversation here where Karen continues to insist, like, oh, you know, I, I'm not sure how you're a human that can morph, or you're an Andalite who defies the morph limit, um, uh, and Cassie's just like, what are you, one of those X-Files people? 
Um, yeah, and asked if she, uh, Karen thinks she's a werewolf or something. Because mm-hmm. I saw you was like a wolf one minute, and then you went out of sight, and then there was a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and but, then yeah. Cassie thinks about her options here. Uh, because she knows that there are bears and wolves in this forest. Uh, and that the wolves could attack Karen if they were hungry enough. Um, especially because she's small and defenseless. Um, and that if Karen made it back to her fellow controllers, uh, then none of the Animorphs are safe. Um, it would be, it would be very bad, very fast. Uh, not as fast as if she got infested, but very fast. Um, and she thinks about all the things that would happen as a result of that. All the animorphs would be infested. Uh, they, the Yurks would learn about the free colony of Horkbajir. They would learn about the Chi. Um, and so really, like, Karen can't leave this forest alive. Um, is, is the conclusion that Cassie has come to. And, Honestly, at this point, quite rightly. Um, Mm -hmm. And Cassie is just thinking like, okay, I have to, I have to destroy this person. I have to, like, that's the responsible thing is to kill her. Um, And she thinks about it for a hot minute. And then she decides not to. Um, She makes a crutch for Karen. Uh, I do appreciate that it's a bit of a fake out first. It is, yeah. Like, this is a solid enough branch. Uh, it's got a fork at one end, and like, that she could, like, just crack Karen over the head, uh, leave her tied up, and let nature do the rest. And clearly, Karen has that same realization. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, Cassie's just like, this will make a good crutch. Wait here, I'm going to get stuff to make a splint. Mm hmm. Um, she uses her own belt to like brace the splint, and I do amuse. I'm amused by the detail about uh, Karen. Just like your pants will fall down, Karen <laughs> <Yeah>. said, sounding <laughs> like a kid again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Cassie just goes, "Oh well, I've gained some weight. All the pants have shrunk. They're fine." Um, <laughs> and does the good old okay? When I get to five, I'm going to yank and yanks on one, um, because you know. That tenses up on five. Uh, this is why I caught you while you relaxed. A trick for your own good. And here we start getting into some interesting stuff because Karen's response is, and now I know you're an Andalite. Typical Andalite arrogance. The only race in the entire galaxy that makes war to help people. Sounds familiar. Not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, they start walking. Um, yeah. and they have the moment if she's not sure what side to use the crutch. Um, it's just like, which side? The side with the bad ankle or the other side? And Cassie admits to not knowing that she doesn't work with humans much and Karen's just like, aha! Um, <laughs> ready to stop pretending and admit what you are, Andalite. And Cassie laughs for legit laugh. It's just like, I work with animals. I set broken legs on deers or raccoons or wolves. I've never done a human before. And then I really appreciate the visual of like this fucking, obviously we've got, now I've got this visual of this nine-year-old just like, ah, yes, the barn full of animals, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, like, what a, what a perfect cover for an Andalite. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just very good. I it mean, it's also good. terrifying in the implications, but the visual of this. And I feel like the implication is there that Karen is shorter than Cassie, who we know is short, mm-hmm. which just uh, pays mm-hmm. diligence to, uh, uh, the mm-hmm. age that we were sort of supposing. Yeah. Uh, and Cassie is basically like, look, I'm sorry you think I'm an alien, but we need to find shelter because it looks like it's going to rain. Uh, and if it rains and we're out in the open, we're going to die. Um, <laughs> and I love Car- the, the fucking moment. Just like, what? If you're going to kill me, go ahead and do it. No need to drag me off to some secluded spot. Karen, what could possibly be more secluded than this? <laughs> Okay, if you don't have the stomach for killing me, let's walk out of here. My leg is fine and starts trying to limp away. Yep. Um, But then Karen snaps after, like, Cassie lays out the dangers. 
And it's just like, why do you keep up this stupid game? I know what you were capable of. I know what you did. You could morph to that wolf and easily kill me and then run out of these woods. Why are you playing this game? And Cassie just lets her yell. And then it's mm-hmm. just like, I see high ground over there, maybe low hills. Maybe we find a cave. We're best to get up there. Um, but uh, Karen's not listening because she's spotted uh, up in a tree um, the crumpled, ripped body of a deer. Yep. And Karen's like, what's it doing up there? Um, and Cassie explains how uh, an animal has put it up there for safekeeping. Karen's like, oh, so what kind of animal does that? A wolf? A bear? And Cassie's like, nope, but a leopard does. Chekhov's leopard. Uh, Chekhov's leopard. Yep. Uh, I really... Because we learn later kind of why Karen is... Uh, so, trying so hard to uh, needle Cassie here. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, intends to take advantage of the the mid-morph uh, awkwardness and inability to do anything. <laughs> um, and I love so, so, so much that it is Cassie's reluctance to do violence here mm-hmm. that saves her from that. Now, granted, she could have hit her over the head with the stick and left her tied up. Um, but like that, that reluctance to morph and just get out of here and leave Karen to nature, uh, is, is really what saves her here. Um, and it, it points to the, the kind of moral for this book, which is that there, I don't want to say there is always another way because there isn't always another way, but, Often. Sometimes. Sometimes. There is another way. Uh, but it's good. Um, it good. But yes, we have reintroduced the leopard. Um, yep. So we get a little bit of an info dump, of, an info dump about uh, leopards. Karen is sort of like, a leopard. You're kidding me. This is in Africa. Mm, she's like, yeah, hey, one escaped from a sort of private zoo. Oh, from a private zoo, so it's probably tame, right? It put a man in the hospital. <laughs> um, and um, Karen suggests that they build a fire because wild animals are scared of fire, which Cassie agrees to, despite the fact that she knows that that's not going to do jack shit. Mm-hmm. As discussed in the uh, Time of the Dinosaurs. Yep. We, um, we get uh, yet another instance of Cassie, nature woman. Uh which is, I'm glad it wasn't entirely one-off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they, they, they start moving. Cass, uh, Karen is really struggling uh, to keep up. She she trips over a root, falls down. Cassie helps her up. Second try, she gets tangled up in a bush. And it's getting dark. And Cassie goes to, like, put her arm around Karen's shoulders. And Karen, like, wigs out. She's like, keep your hands off me, Adelaide. And she's like, you know, I don't know who these Andalites of yours are, Karen, but you sure seem to have a grudge against them. And so, like, we don't exactly get along with Andalites. And Cassie plays dumb. It's like, who is we? I asked, trying to make sure, like, who doesn't, doesn't already know. And then we get, uh, Karen explaining about the Yurks and the Yurk Empire. Mm-hmm. Cause Cassie's like, oh, so you Yurks and Andalites don't like each other. And Karen explains that the Andalites are the busybodies of the galaxy, always sticking their noses in other people's business. Uh, we have a right to expand. We have a right to advance. Um, but you Andalites don't see it that way, do you? No, the whole galaxy has to belong to the mighty Andalites. Uh, Cassie recognizes that uh, she's being provoked um, and looking for maybe an answer that will give the game away. And Cassie plays it smart. It's just like, so if I'm an Andalite and these Andalites are such rotten people, why am I helping you? And Karen's like, I don't know. So, well, maybe you're totally wrong about me. Have you considered that? Maybe I'm not a werewolf or an Andalite or anything but a normal girl. It's just like, again, planning that doubt in Karen. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to take a moment because mm-hmm. like, as much as we say about the Andalites and fuck the military, we have a right to expand. We have a right to uh, advance. Like, no, you don't have a right to expand. Like... You do have a right to, like, be able to learn and have your society grow, but that 
doesn't necessarily mean you have a right to, like, go take shit from other people. So, uh-huh. But, ex- yeah, I agree, obviously. Uh, colonialism, fucking bad. Um, yeah. But expansion doesn't have to mean taking something from somebody else. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. happens to be that the way the Yerks view other people or other species is lesser. But I think Karen is right in saying, yeah, we have the right to grow our population to be more than just existing in the Yerk pool and advance. Yeah. It's just like, I think that's like base desires of a culture Mm -hmm. or certain cultures, I should say. Um, But yeah, no. Uh, But um, I, I do like that we're getting this perspective on the Andalites. Mm hmm. Because it actually does track with like stuff we've seen before. Things yeah. we learned in the Andalite Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And getting it from that other perspective. Because for all that like we've, the kids have seen like Vista 3 raging and stuff, they've only really heard the Andalite perspective on everything mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And I like that. It's just very interesting to me, for all that obviously don't agree mm-hmm. with uh, Karen's attitude about certain things, hearing another perspective just makes everything much more interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's part of why I think this book is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Just because it it does give you a different perspective that it, it I don't think it's... I really don't think it's meant to make you like sympathize with the Irks. No. Because I think we do get enough pushback from Cassie. Um, Agreed. Well, I personally think that we get enough pushback from Cassie. Your mileage may vary. Um, to, to show that like, no, we're not trying to sympathize with what the Yerks are doing. Um, but understanding is the first step to trying to change things. Yeah, you have to have all the facts. Yeah. Um, Cassie finds a cave uh, behind some bushes um, and uses Karen's crutch to kind of beat oh, beat back the bushes a bit. Um, she's trying to make as much noise as possible in case anything's living in the cave. Um, but as she gets closer, she's just like, "What if? What if? What if I just morph a little bit? Just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. A, a, a smush." Uh, I do appreciate that before that, we do have Karen suggesting you could use your tail, you could just cut right through, and just like, yeah, okay, how about I just push my way through and give me the crotch. Yep. Uh, So she morphs a little bit, um, and uh, flashes back to Jake telling her not to use the power. Um, And actually remembering that conversation with Jake uh, makes her stop. Um, And so she's only half-wolf. Uh, her hearing is already acute and she can hear Karen trying to creep up behind her, trying to spy on her. Uh, so she demorphs as quickly as she can, uh, and, uh, goes through, finds the cave, cave's empty, sounds like it'll be a good place. Uh, and then outside, Karen yells, um, because there's a leopard. Um. Surprise. I, yeah, this <laughs> reminds me, um, a lot of Sabor from Tarzan. Um, mm. Especially, like, if you've ever Good played pull. Kingdom Hearts uh, and gone to the, the Tarzan world. Um, and it's just like, you go through the whole story, except every once in a while, a leopard attacks you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and this just kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I... But now you said that, like, I really, slight tangent, I really do appreciate how genuinely threatening yes. the leopard is. Now I'm starting to wonder, I'm going to have to check the date. I think Tarzan came out before this. It Aww. did. I yeah. think it did. Because this, we discussed in the last book, was like 99. I think Tarzan was 98. I could be wrong. 1999. Either- so this is, bef- this is slightly before, I think, because... Megamorphs okay. 2 was in 98. It might okay. be, they might be pretty close to one another, actually. Regardless, given um, when Marco shows up later, mm-hmm. and we all know what Marco's battle morph of choice is, just like, <laughs> yes, good. And now just, but yeah. yeah. Leopards are genuinely scary. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-huh. they're a very cool, impressive animal that is terrifying yeah. and deserves a healthy amount of respect. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, but yes, how good the sequence is at the beginning of Tarzan where mm-hmm. Carla finds uh, yeah. baby Tarzan and then is mm-hmm. running from Sabor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I need to watch Tarzan. <laughs> Phil Collins, uh, you didn't have to go so hard, but we're so glad you did. Yeah. Uh, so Karen uh, pulls out a dragon beam and shoots it at the leopard, um, but Just the leopard catches it. Casual dragon <laughs> beam action. <laughs> um, she tries to take another shot, but her bad ankle uh, gives collapses under her, basically, um, and she falls. The dragon beam goes skittering away, um, and. Every, like, everything is, like, wait, everyone's waiting. Like, the leopard is looking at Karen, who's looking at her weapon. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cassie is watching this whole thing. Um, and she basically says, tells Karen to crawl towards her. Um, and the reason she says this is because she is morphing to wolf as she says this. Um, I do like the shift to thought to speak. thought speak, yeah. It's very slick. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm just think. I'm sorry. I got apparently it's movie references today, but just like Karen, crawl to me. Trying to move as little as possible is very like Nigel the Pelican and Finding Nemo. She's like half in my mouth. If you want to live, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruining the tension here. Right. So, but she's not able to do it quick enough because mm-hmm. Karen slips. And the leopard, on seeing like this bare white throat in the darkness, lunges. Um, for Cassie, but, uh, for Karen, uh, but Cassie, uh, lunges, um, and lands first and, um, sort of gets in the way. And the leopard on seeing the teeth is just like, you know what? Fine. I'll come back later mm-hmm. because isn't going to pick a fight with another predator. Right. Um, but meanwhile, Karen is like picking her face up out of the mud, just like, oh, so I guess you are a werewolf then. Mm-hmm. I do like how the leopard turns him with infinite contempt. Yeah. That's just a choice phrase right there. <laughs> well, like, honestly, any cat. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Unless it's literally falling over itself, every cat has infinite Inf- contempt for I'm you. Ju- and now I'm just remembering A, how Vista 3 is a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> and B, this is another book where Vista 3 isn't seen on screen. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned a couple of times. I feel like we're going to have to change the last point to Vista 3 is here. Vista 3 is here 99% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as catchy, I'll grant you. I'll workshop it. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, but they settle in the cave. Yep. Uh, Cassie comments that making a fire is harder this time because the wood's wet. Um, and it's a pain. But they're able to get a fire going, and it's cold, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Um and Cassie expresses the worry that um, her parents will be totally frantic. And mm-hmm. Karen says, mine too. And uh, Cassie's just like, I didn't know Yerks had parents. And um, Ka- Ka- I, this conversation is great. Mm-hmm. Um, because Karen's just like, I see you've given up. Pretending that's good, it gets boring. Um, yes, we have parents, though it's very different than with humans. Um and Cassie's kind of surprised because she's being called referred to as human rather than and like there. It's just like, yes, I know you're human. We don't know how to do And just like a little bit of what the Yerks know and what they don't mm-hmm. about, about morphing. The morphing technology. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, we have this reflective moment of Cassie thinking about what, what Marco or Rachel would do in mm-hmm. the situation, how Tobias and Axe would agree. Basically, it's just like, They'd have to hold her for three days. Either she dies or they have to hold her for three days to starve out the yerk. Mm-hmm. Um, Tobias and Axe would agree with the plan. Jake, too, though it would bother him. And they would. And we have this point from Cassie. They would all have been right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have the moment of Karen realizing what Cassie is thinking about mm-hmm. and how it's not the first time Cassie's thought about it. Uh, and Cassie's like, yeah, well, you seemed pretty confident last time because this, you, I should, and it's like, yeah, I should have figured out you had a weapon because you wanted me to morph. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and she's like, okay, so why didn't you use the dragon beam on the bear? <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> pure panic. <laughs> I forgot I had the weapon. <laughs> but I do like we get this. They're just like, I'm not a good shot. I have little girl hands and little girl muscles, and the dragon beam's designed to be wielded by a hawk bajir. I could h- barely reach the trigger. Which is just now the, the visual of a, like a, a kid with like a big like ray gun designed for giant tree lizard, knife lizards is just <laughs> a lot. Um, but we have this sort of like truce because mm-hmm. neither of them know why they won't attack the other. Yeah. Or neither of them know why Cassie won't attack Karen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Poor reading comprehension in that moment. No, you're good. Yeah. No. Karen knows she can't attack Cassie because Cassie is bigger and stronger and mm-hmm. a million other reasons. Um mm-hmm. and uh Karen's like, why don't you go get us some food? You know. At- okay. But it, Cassie <laughs> explains, that mean leaving you alone and, the and that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Just like and then we have this moment, um, where Karen like rages about being in a child's body. She didn't choose it. She wanted a human body, yes, but not a child. But this is mm-hmm. the one as a not a weak, innocent little child. Mm-hmm. And Cassie notes the use of the word innocent and how it's a strange word for a yerk to use. And mm-hmm. Cassie gets a little bit of understanding about how yerks don't choose mm-hmm. um, their hosts. Yeah. And Karen explains how she had a get host originally uh then a hawk bajir just and then uh got assigned to earth and a human host mm-hmm. and there's just like and now it's your turn and cassie's like my turn for what uh and karen's just like well we're stuck here no food nothing to do but talk i tell you your i tell you my life story you tell me yours just like and they're just like you could be lying making stuff up so could you you humans are not always honest um yep. and, and then Cassie is honest. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because Karen asks how she got the morphing power, and Cassie's like, Elfangor gave it to us. Um, Karen obviously knows of Elfangor, um, uh, and Karen says that part of the time she was a hork uh, she was in Visser Three's personal guard, uh, and the Visser was obsessed with Elfangor because of something personal between them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, so much funny, eh? Yep. Just so much. Yep. Uh, Cassie says that she was present when Visser Three murdered Elfangor. And Karen uh, says, murder? No, it wasn't murder. We're at war with the Andalites. There's no murder in war. It was murder, I said. Cold-blooded murder of a helpless person. Karen leaned forward, her face glowing from the fire. And that hork whose throat you removed, was he helpless too? I jumped up. Don't you compare what your people do with what we do. You can't compare the attacker and the victim. You people started this war, and it's you invading my planet, not the other way around. Karen jumped up, wincing at the pain in her ankle. We have a right to live. This isn't about you living, I yelled. It's about you enslaving other people. It's what we are, she yelled back. We're parasites. You humans are predators. How many pigs and cows and chickens and sheep do you kill each year to survive? You think being a predator is morally superior to being a parasite? At least the host bodies we take remain alive. We don't kill them, cut them into pieces, and grill them over a charcoal fire in our backyards. We're not pigs, I said. Oh, yes, you are, she said, her face distorted and twisted with contempt. That's all you are to us. Oink, oink. And this is uh, where the conflict hinges for this whole book. Um, Because (sighs) now I personally think that Aftran is, who is the Yerk, is uh, parroting a whole bunch of what amounts to empire propaganda. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't. It's towing the party line, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Because we, we learn that there are other Yerks who believe that they should just be Yerks. Um, and so I think that a lot of what she's saying here is Yerk Empire propaganda, specifically. Uh, especially because it's so goddamn 
false. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She talks later about uh like what it is to be a Yerk. Like they have their own culture. Mm-hmm. They can communicate with each other and they're blind, yes, but there are lots of creatures that are blind and mm-hmm. get on perfectly fine. Yeah. There are people who are blind and get on perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a lot of this comes from. Uh, uh, so there are two uh, users in the uh, Animorphs fandom um, who honestly get a lot of flack um, and not rightly, I don't think. Um, but uh, one is Nick's cat who drew the Virgin Andalite and Chad Horkbegir meme. Um, <laughs> uh, Iconic. The other one is R. Jalker or something similar to that. Um, but they've had conversations like specifically about this whole situation here. Um, and the, the point that they make is Yurks literally have to starve themselves in order to act in a parasitic way. They're not obligate parasites. Being a parasite actively hurts them. Mm-hmm. The comparison that that uh, they made was, imagine you go in a car and you sit in that car for three days without food or water. Uh, and then you leave the car just long enough to, you know, make it so you're not dying anymore. And then you, you get back the in the car for another three days. Yeah, you hit up the drive through. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, the... And it, it's a really good comparison because that that is essentially what the Yerks are doing. And I think a lot of it is, I think the three-day cycle is uh, very much an empire-imposed thing because we know that they're short on hosts and therefore they, actually it doesn't make sense with the fact that they're short on hosts, but because um, what they really should be doing is cycling Yerks through faster. Yeah. Um, but they... Uh, they should have much shorter shifts so that they're not on the edge of dying every time. Um, because this is a tight three-day timer, <laughs> as mm-hmm. we saw with Jake. Yeah. Um, like, so... The- Go on. Sorry. So just this idea of, like, the parasitism that they have, that they are able to do, probably developed as something to use on a very temporary basis for very short stretches of time, probably to move from one pool to the other on the Yurk homeworld. Um, but it's definitely, it's almost certainly not meant to be what they are doing here with it. Yeah. And I actually, um, I put in our notes that I have a Homestuck reference that like actually applies, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's relevant, I swear. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, in Homestuck, there's, uh, one alien species called, uh, trolls, and the way their reproduction is done, it involves buckets and a mother grub, and, like, a lot of people theorize, they're like, if there's a mother grub, this species should function like insects do, in which the buckets should not be necessary. And they're like, but you know what? I bet the head bitch, who has been head bitch for, like, millennia because of the way biology works, uh, did something so that people don't realize this. Because, like, also, like, by the time the trolls meet our main characters, like, there are no adults on the planet. The planet is literally populated by children. Mm-hmm. While all the adults are off fighting, like, a constant colonial war. Mm-hmm. So, like, it might even, like, actually can supposed to be different, like, at that time period. And nobody knows because it's a planet full of children who have no information. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. we know for a fact that, like, most of the Yerks that, that are in the Empire, quote unquote, are from the Sulpniar pool, which we'll learn more about in the Hork-Bajir Chronicles uh, next time. Um, but they're all from like this one pool on the Yurk homeworld that 
then went off to space. They were able to pick up some Yerks from, like, one or two other pools, maybe? But all of the rest of the Yerks that they have were born in space. And, like, hmm. they they have no real concept of homeworld. And so it's very easy to envision a situation where these particular uh, Yerks who decided to rebel and fuck the Andalites over um, mm -hmm. were ones who wanted power and decided that the best way to get that was to make it so that all of their fellow Yerks worked with them instead of against them. There um, is... Uh my brain is just like reeling in the best, most interesting way. But I keep thinking about the um, line in Mad Max Fury Road, like Immortan Joe using mm -hmm. weaponizing water mm -hmm. and just like, I'm going to give you a little bit. Don't get used to it. Uh -huh. And like this proverbial carrot, just like, isn't it so much better being able to see and move like this? And it's uh -huh. like, because especially these space ones don't know any better because they've never mm -hmm. experienced like the true community of the homeworld yerk pools. Mm -hmm. Just like mm -hmm. for them, it's just like, okay, shitty manufactured yerk pools. And yes, that doesn't negate the ableism inherent to all those things. But if you've never, I suppose it's like that adjustment period, just like, I don't want to have to adapt to this culture. I want to be able to keep having this thing that I've had a taste of. Yeah. Cause it's one thing to grow up in a culture and be able to appreciate and be part of it. And then we, uh, in the notes talked about deaf culture and how it's such a strong thing, mm -hmm. uh, a, a community. But if you're not born to it or you don't grow up surrounded by it, yeah. it probably doesn't have the same weight for you and you don't necessarily mm -hmm. have the emotional connection to it. So you are going to only crave this, um, this what for you feels better because otherwise it's just like yeah it, maybe it feels like a small price to pay mm -hmm. and the other thought i had you're saying about how the like i you know like the council of 13 or whatever mm -hmm. all came out of the same yerk pool mm -hmm. i'm just thinking about how um politicians particularly like tory politicians in this country all go to the same fucking private schools uh -huh. and the same universities and it's just like a certain way of thinking is endemic mm -hmm. to them, mm -hmm. like uh, the bo a good old boys club and stuff like that. And it's yeah. just sort of like the notion of just like a few people going, oh, well, we want this and we know what's best for everyone. Mm -hmm. And as long as we're on the top, we can totally get other people to do the legwork for us. We'll show them how good this is and they'll never know any better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, well, that's horrifying. And that's, the abuse of power for you. Yeah, that's uh, fascism for you. That's fascism. And here we are, children. Antifa, <laughs> we've looped back. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's once once we finish all of this, I'll have to show you Papa Rena's video on Animorphs in the modern day. Um, mm -mm, and like he, he draws the explicit parallel between like the Animorphs and Antifa versus fascism and, like, Trump. and Good shit. It was... It's very good shit. Uh, just the video as a whole was very emotional for me in many ways. It's a great video. I'll have to show it to you, but that'll be a while. Mm. Yeah. So the two of them kind of go silent after this exchange. Um, and they take turns keeping watch. Uh, Cassie takes first watch. Um, she thinks about what it would be like if Karen turns Visser, turns Cassie into Visser 3 and how she would be infested and wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Um, and then, then all of her friends would be taken one by one. Um, and she would be totally helpless while helping to destroy her friends. Um, and she's thinking about, like, this is, this is Karen's plan. This is obviously what she wants to do. Um, it's what the Yerks were planning to do for the entire world. And, like, why, why can't I get rid of this huge threat? 
um, it would be so easy. I had the power. I had the power to destroy her before she destroyed me. I should do it. But I knew I wouldn't. Not now. Not tonight. Not in cold blood. Life was sacred. Even the life of an enemy. But how about the lives of my friends? Weren't their lives even more sacred? And we don't get an answer to this question. She wrestles with this question the whole book of knowing that failing to act is itself a choice and that that choice has disastrous consequences. Um, but um, she still is just mm -hmm. torn by it. I'm um, making my way through um, past seasons of Dimension 20 at the moment. Mm -hmm. And in an episode I recently watched, there was a conversation between two of the characters or a PC and an NPC about, and this feels so much like it could be about Cassie, is um, that fear of making the wrong choice mm -hmm. um, or wanting to do, uh, so scared of, yeah, so scared of doing the wrong thing or feeling unable to do a thing right means you do nothing. Mm -hmm. And how by doing nothing, you can do more damage. Yes. And like, what is that, that whole thing of by choosing to remain neutral, mm -hmm. this is not the same thing that's happening here, but like how by being neutral, you're siding with the side with power. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that we've had this recognition that Cassie recognizes that. Yes. And I, I, I appreciate they giving, the writers giving her this awareness this time that I feel has maybe been lacking in previous mm -hmm. books with some of her moral struggles. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was about to say is like, this book makes me so mad because <laughs> there is so much more depth Cassie could have, uh, just about like, her whole conundrum we had a long conversation about it like in the server mm -hmm. and like they just don't give it to her and like we can see in this book that it's not like they can't give her this step they just fucking don't <laughs> yeah and i think it might have been you who said as such um dirk or it was part of that that conversation how writing the m moral center is not the most fun character to write and is often the harder ones to write. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not as fun for a reader. Yes, these are arguably, these are in their way serious books about the impact of war, but also they have their, and then I kick flipped into the sun. Yay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when they do those abrupt turns on the weightier books, it always feels very, ayy. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah. mm -hmm. I think that is related to the reason why Cassie books are most often the, the silly books. To um, counteract the weight of the stuff she tends to think about otherwise. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I don't, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but she, she has, I think, the, the greatest proportion of just fucking dumb premises um, for her books. You know, we got, uh, as much as 14 was a pretty good filler book for a filler book, it was still <laughs> Yerks uh, infesting horses at Area 51. Like, <sighs> um... We'll, we'll, we have another Cassie book at book 24, which comes r immediately after the David trilogy and then a really important Tobias book. And it's all just about the Helmicrons, which are just like microscopic aliens who are completely oh over the top. God. And just, it, it's a fucking ridiculous book. It, it has no bearing on anything greater and is just like, uh, a kind of ridiculous premise and most fans don't like those books 
Um, all, even though the authors kind of have like a soft spot for them because like they were fun to write or whatever and they're just kind of silly. But that translates the, to dislike of Cassie. Yes. Right. Unjustly uh, so. Yes. Mm. And making it so that she seems frivolous and like not having all of these deep thoughts and all this other sort of thing. And then combined when you have things like book nine, where her character arc in book nine, they basically just made a big circle. Um, and it, it just like the mishandling of her importance. Mm-hmm. She only gets two books really that are really complicated and good. Yeah. M- maybe three, three it feels like the whole okay it's really hard to get this right so i don't want to do that right yeah or i don't have to do it often yeah i don't think we can do it i can't do it well so i'm not going to risk doing it badly amusingly enough what we're just talking about making the wrong choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now i won't do anything then and how arguably that does more damage than good gestures at the animorph series <laughs> and that that's what I was saying in the conversation is that it really feels like Cassie was, you know, a tack on character because they needed somebody to say these things, but they mm-hmm. didn't want to actually like put in the effort of saying those things, which like I get they were writing like a book a month and this is really like heavy complicated shit mm-hmm. but also i know like the times i like cassie best is when they give her a personality outside of her opinions on things mm-hmm. and her emotional feelings about stuff uh when she feels more like a person and not a mouthpiece for ideas yeah. exactly mm-hmm. that like the thing is like the cassie who is like purposely like winding up her friend about the fact that she has no taste in clothes and joking with the boy she likes and those are really the only two real relationships that feel realized in that way that you're talking about Dirk about how mm-hmm. attack tacked on character those and like she has moments with other people but it yeah I'm circling the point that you just made very eloquently is that she feels <laughs> less realized than the others because they realize oh we need to do that we sh- we need to have this perspective and that maybe that came before the personality mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't think she's tacked on in the sense that they realized too late that they needed to have this because uh like in interviews and things catherine has talked about how much she identifies with cassie and so I think Cassie was a, uh, like, was part of everything from the beginning. Mm. But I think maybe some of the arguments that she makes may have been tacked on mm. in terms of like, Good like not her viewpoint, not her, not her overall kind of place in the group. But I think some of these, um, some of the arguments that she makes may have come from that place where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, we should have someone push back on this idea. Let's make it Cassie, because that's her job. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh... So, so Karen wakes up, and it's her turn for watch. Her turn for watch. Uh, and Cassie actually falls asleep. Uh, manages to fall asleep, and she has a nightmare about... Uh, the events of book 10, where uh, Eric was temporarily given the Pemolite crystal and then just fucking murdered a room full of people um, in just the messiest way possible. Um, and she wakes up crying uh, and Karen says that she was yelling in her sleep. Um, and Cassie says, yeah, it was a it was a bad memory. Um and Karen says, it sounded like a battle from some of what you were saying. But hey, here you are alive, right? So you must have won. Winning doesn't make it less terrible. 
She snorted derisively like I'd made a joke. Of course it does. Don't pretend with me. I know humans. I know that you love conquest as much as any yerk. Which is some propaganda bullshit. Um, and Cassie says, not all of us. Oh, I see. So you have morals. You feel bad when you destroy an enemy. She said it with heavy sarcasm. Yes, I feel bad. Most humans do. Anyway, I do. Lies. More human lies. Karen. What? If that's all true, why have I let you live? Uh, and Karen once again realizes that she doesn't know. She once again realizes that she doesn't know why Cassie hasn't killed her yet. Um, and just that, that kind of realization of, oh, the only thing that's really keeping me alive right now is this person's, uh, moral crisis. Like existential mm-hmm. crisis. <laughs> like maybe, maybe I shouldn't be pushing her to violence. Um, <laughs> maybe I should not uh, provoke. <laughs> but I think at the same time, uh, Aftran feels it necessary to provoke because otherwise, it's admitting that there's another way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which we see kind of later a bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, this book is so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll uh, get to that next time because we have realized that we have <laughs> been talking a lot because this book does a lot of cool things and we are prone to tangents. So we're going to record some more another day and create even more content for yes. you, our listeners. Uh, so when you're listening to this, uh, look forward to the next release because it will come with the other half of this book, um, which will probably be even longer than this set of episodes, uh, just because all of the meat is there. Um, Mm -hmm. I say as if we haven't chewed on (laughs) enough here, but until then, uh, thank you, Dirk, so much for joining us for this book. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Heck yeah. Again, I am Dirk. I use they, them pronouns. You can find me at Hope's Hearth Pod on Twitter. You can also find me on the Hope's Hearth Podcast. It is a sci fantasy actual play about uh, a planet that was created by alien refugees. The, um, luxury space communism. I, I had better phrasing for that but i forgot it anyway (laughs) uh you can find us on your podcatcher of choice and we're coming up on our one year anniversary sometime soonish so maybe we'll do something for that nice uh, my co-host has been Jade. You can find them on the internet at Jade Oxford Rose. You can find their home podcast, Follow the Leader, at FTLcast on Twitter or at FTLcast.com. Uh, you can catch them this summer um, uh, doing a live stream, Sagas of the Sunless Reach, uh, Riddle of Rule, uh, with uh, a few of our other very good friends. You can catch that on the Standing Stones Twitch uh, which is uh, twitch.tv forward slash standing stones prod as in production uh, goes uh, was every other Saturday at uh, one Eastern question mark. Yes. 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 Correct. Um, so uh, definitely check that out uh, as, as they get deeper and deeper into trouble and, potentially kill the whole party every time uh it's fine i'm sure everything is fine (laughs) i've been dragged enough my co-host has been danielle you can find them on twitter at redtailed hawk 90 the games that they write at redtailed hawk talk 90.itch.io including a hack of forged in the dark called idiot teenagers with a death wish where you can play out your animorph dreams uh, their home podcast is The Room Where It Happened. Uh, actual play with a bunch of really cool people telling great stories. Uh, they're coming towards the end, I believe, of their second season. Appalachia in space. 
<laughs> it's Firefly, but it's incredibly less racist and just generally more awesome and queer. So you should listen to it. Uh, Danielle's also been guesting on Hacked in the Dark. Um, yeah. I don't know much about that, but um, you can go to the Hacked in the Dark YouTube channel and uh, yeah, you should check that out. I haven't had a chance to yet, but you should. It's, it's good. good stuff. Oh, and we it's also good. have our own Animorphs actual play, Dumkiss Playing Hero. We mention it plenty, but if this is maybe your first time listening to uh, Escafil Files, imagine, if you will, Animorphs, but with uh, kids in their early 20s in Boston in 2003. Imagine the soundtrack, if nothing else. It's great. <laughs> and Andalite could be exposed to Eiffel 65's I'm Blue Dabba D, Dabba Die. <laughs> and if that's not a reason... I don't know what is. <laughs> I had that realization uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm not over it yet. If an Andalite wore trip pants, would he wear it like this or like this? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> I think that's enough for today. I think oh. we should do a clap. We should absolutely <laughs> yeah. do a clap. Yeah. Uh, 15? 